Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Thanks for joining us today on Impactability. A recurring topic that we have, obviously, is fundraising. After all, most of us in the nonprofit world are doing that on a daily basis, at least some form of fundraising. So let's see, there's grant writing, there's events, there's campaigns, there's partnerships, there's direct solicitation, crowdfunding, there's Giving Tuesday, on and on and on and on. But does it sometimes feel like you've been there and done that? What's new? What is different that you haven't tried before? Most importantly, the age-old question, why should someone give to your nonprofit? What makes them want to give? That is going to be part of our focus today, and we're going to be talking about some new techniques to help your fundraising, and also, let's get into the mind of the fundraiser a little bit. Why should they give to your nonprofit? So, Our guest today, Tim Kachuriak, is the founder and chief innovation and optimization officer. I said that right. For for NextAfter, which is a fundraising research lab. And Tim has also authored a book, Optimize Your Fundraising. Very good book. And I found Tim when I stumbled onto another book that he co-authored, Why Should I Give to You? Which for me, that is the most excellent topic for a podcast episode. Now, Tim is also the co-founder and board member for the Human Coalition. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But first, let's dig into this other topic. Tim lives in Prosper, Texas. That's where we find him today. Tim, a pleasure to welcome you to Impactability. Joe, thanks for having me. Great to have you. And first question is, Tim, where is Prosper, Texas? Well, it's uh, just north of Dallas. Um, So if you're familiar with the Dallas area, there's Plano, there's Frisco, and then we're just north of that. So about... uh, Probably about 16 minutes from my office here in Plano. Very cool. Very cool. Good to have you with us. It's And, and I got to say, we got a lot of ground to cover today, and I'm going to get right into our first half of this. As I said, I was drawn to the title of the book, Why Should I Give to You? So, Tim, why should I give to you? Well, the answer to the question is that there is no one simple answer. Uh, people give for a variety of different reasons and motivations. Um, particularly older generations give out of a sense of duty, responsibility. This is how they're trained. This is related to their religious tradition and how they grew up. Some younger donors give because they want to be part of some sort of impact or change in the world. People give because they want to belong to something. People give out of, especially to political campaigns, out of frustration and anger and this deep-seated need to want to see this change made in the world and knowing that an organization is advocating for that change is sometimes the fuel needed to fire that uh, that donation off. So as we've kind of gone and explored this topic, we said, well, if people are giving for a variety of different reasons, what are the universal principles that can make any sort of fundraising motivation, any sort of fundraising message more effective? And the primary thing that we found is really in what is we've come to discover as, as the unique value proposition of an organization. So when I say value proposition, it is not what most people think. When I ask nonprofits, what's your value proposition? They start spouting off things like their mission or their values or their, their purpose, not a value proposition. 
The value proposition is an answer to a fundamental question that every single donor asks or needs to hear the answer to, but they rarely verbalize. And the question is this, if I am your ideal donor, why should I give to you rather than some other organization or not at all? And there's a lot packed into that question. It's a first party question. So it has to be framed with donor centric logic as opposed to organizational centric logic. And it also contemplates the fact that there's trade-offs. If I'm going to go and give to you, I have choices. I could give to you or I can give to somebody else or I could choose not to give at all. And so a really effective value proposition answers that fundamental question that every donor needs to hear. So obviously affinity is an important factor, but so is basic communication, correct? That's correct. And what we found is that there's kind of four key dimensions to an effective value proposition. There's appeal, exclusivity, credibility, and clarity. And let me just kind of break down each of those different things. So appeal is, it's got to be something that people like, that they want, a change they want to see made in the world, right? It has to be exclusive to the organization, right? So meaning like you need to have something that you're doing that either no one else is doing or you're doing it differently than everybody else is doing. And there's an interesting relationship between appeal and exclusivity. I have this like cause that's very, very appealing, like solving world hunger. And I'm one of like a hundred thousand organizations that are trying to tackle that. Well, you can see how the appeal is diluted by the number of competing options available. So what you're looking for is what is it that we do that's very different than everyone else that's trying to say, solve that same issue? Likewise, if you have something that's very exclusive, but it doesn't have any appeal, then you know, obviously nobody really wants to give to that kind of cause. The second two um, attributes, credibility and clarity, are interesting. So, so clarity means I understand it. I understand you. I understand what you're telling me about your value proposition. And then cre uh, credibility is I believe it. I believe and trust you. I know that when I give my money to you, it's going to go to where you say it's going to go. I'm glad you said the word credibility because that is the bottom line, isn't it? Well, it sure is. And, and there's a lot of reasons why some bad actors have turned a lot of people away from wanting to give to cause-based organizations because they're not sure if that money is going to go to you know, the cause or to some founder's private jet, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you've done a lot of research on donors, what makes them donate, what makes them tick, why they donate, so on. Was there anything in your research that was surprising to you? Oh, there's things that surprise us every single day. I mean, let me give you some some just very practical examples. So let's take a, a nonprofit fundraising email. If you look at most nonprofit fundraising emails, they're very highly designed. They've got images and graphics and big clickable buttons and they're HTML, you know, kind of formatted uh, in these different design templates. And the problem with that, which everybody does, by the way, is that when a potential donor sees that in their inbox, all they see is somebody trying to market to them. And what we know is that people don't want to be marketed to, people want to be communicated with. People give to people, not to email machines, not to websites, not to direct mail campaigns. They give to people. And so one of the things that we've tested, and we've tested this with dozens of organizations, we've done it in different countries and different languages. We've taken their standard HTML-based email fundraising appeal, and we've created an alternate version, and we've run an A-B split test. That alternate version strips away all the marketing veneer. We get rid of the template. We get rid of the images. We get rid of the graphics, the buttons. We even rewrite the copy so it sounds like it's coming from one human to another human. Imagine that. And when we run our A-B split test, what we find is that that stripped down plain text version generates 200, 300, sometimes 400, 500% more donations 
than the HTML designed. And again, that's very counterintuitive. It flies in the face of our marketing intuition, which says that, you know, pretty is better and plain is boring. And yeah. it's just not what's true. Wow, that is stellar. I love that. What about like age difference? Because so many people talk about how millennial donors are different from Gen X and baby boomers, et cetera, et cetera. We have not seen any sort of correlation between like givers across generations with that specific trend, with that specific technique. Hmm. And again, the reason why I think the younger donors in particular are even more skeptical of mass market advertising and, and messaging. And so when they do feel like somebody is actually communicating to them from a one-to-one -one basis, it's much more believable, much more credible, and people take action. Interesting. Let's move to fundraising. Uh, some of the newer trends that you're seeing in fundraising, what are some things that we should be doing that we might not be or haven't even thought of and secrets that you might be able to share with us? Well, I'm going to start with just some honestly blocking and tackling because based on a lot of the mystery donor research studies that we've put together, <laughs> we've found that there's a lot of missing basics that aren't ex in existence. So I'll give you one example. So when we did our uh, why should I give to you study, so we went to 127 different organizations across nine different nonprofit industry verticals, and we went and contacted those organizations four different ways. So we went to their website, we found the 1-800 number or whatever their, you know, their call-in number was. We called them on the phone. We said, hey, uh, I was thinking of giving a gift to you. Can you tell me why I should give a gift to you rather than some other organization or not at all? And we listened, we transcribed what the response was. We said that same question through the contact us form on their website. Uh, we sent that same message to them via uh, social media, Facebook. We direct messaged them and asked them that question. And then we looked at what their donation page had to say to answer that specific question. And one of the surprising things and startling things, quite frankly, was the fact that when we sent the email, a third of organizations never responded to our question. They never answered this donor intent question saying, I want to give you money. Can you tell me why I should give it to you? They never responded to that. Social media wasn't much better. So it was like, you know, 32% of, of organizations that we message on social media didn't respond to our question. And when we did get responses back, the responses were not great, Joe. Uh, I mean, like, you know, the, one, one particular example I, it just sticks into my brain. Hey, thank you for uh, emailing us. Um, we don't ask for donations. So that decision is completely up to you. But if you would like to give us a donation, you can call us on the phone. You can go to our website. Um, you know, leave me alone. I'm playing Candy Crush. I mean, it was just like really kind of unempathetic to this potential donor that's asking for their help. So blocking and tackling is one of the biggest things I think that a lot of us could do better when it comes to, to fundraising. Wow. I'm writing that one down. I got to tell you. <laughs> so what is not working in fundraising that you see many nonprofits continue to do? I mean, where would they be better off spending their time? Well, you know, digital is kind of like the new frontier. And one of the things that has been interesting to watch is like digital fundraising has grown, you know, every year, pretty significantly year over year until 2020. And then something dramatic happens. So digital revenue up to that point had never represented more than 10% of total giving. In 2020, it was 13%. It was the first time in history that we crossed the chasm of that 10% of total revenue given digitally. And so that's really transformed a lot of things for a lot of organizations because, you know, obviously 2020, we weren't having our fundraising events. We weren't doing a lot of face-to-face -face fundraising. We weren't going and meeting with our donors in person. A lot of that had to take place via digital. Digital became our lifeline. And I think for the first time, 
since we were all given this violent shove into digital transformation, people started to recognize that digital is not just a trend or fad, it is the future. And so what's working, what's not working with that? So one of the things that uh, is really, really important, and a lot of people kind of like, I don't know if they overlook it, but they may not give it the attention that it deserves is email fundraising. So email, if you look across, and we've looked across thousands of different nonprofit organizations at the data, if you look at where their digital revenue comes from, the majority of that revenue is coming from email fundraising. So then one of the things that nonprofits are not doing is that they're not actively trying to build their email file. And if they are, they're doing things like simply sign up for our newsletter. Well, I got, I got to tell you, Joe, every single nonprofit organization has a newsletter. There's nothing compelling about the value proposition of signing up to hear you talk about yourself. And that's where content marketing comes in, correct? That's correct. Explain how that works. We take the content that we're producing as an organization, we repackage it, we repurpose it, and we turn it into something that represents uh, something of significant perceived value for our ideal target donor, right? So it could be like, I'll take a speech and I'll turn it into an ebook, or I could go take a video that we've done and turn it into an online course. But it's taking the things that we have that are relatable to our ideal donor and turning that into something that people are willing to trade their email address for. So that's a big, big area of opportunity for many, many organizations. I love that idea. I've been saying forever, to a lot of different nonprofits, video is everything. Do more video. Even if you're having just the bake sale to, to raise money, shoot some video. The, the, the couple buying the last apple pie or whatever, shoot that video because video, video makes all the difference in the world sometimes. It certainly does. It's a much more engaging medium and it's a great way to kind of get people to see your value proposition and work and at work as opposed to you having to tell them and explain it to them. I will give you one caveat though. You asked about like surprising things we found through our testing work. What we have found is that when we've tested a video on a donation page, this is the only place where video may not be your best uh, primary initiative. When we put a video on a donation page and we've even tested taking an exact transcript of the video and making a text-based version and testing those things, A-B split testing, 500% increase in conversion rate with text versus video. And there's a lot of theories as to why that could be the case. Well, one of which, which was described to me by a, a university president who we did a test of a video of him and actually a text uh, version of his remarks. And he said, I totally get it. He said, because my reading bit rate is faster than the video playback bit rate. And when you make me have to watch this video, it feels less empathetic because now I'm subject to, you know, the director, the producer, you know, the video makers interpretation as to what is the message as opposed to me creating my own pictures through the words that I'm reading on the page. So something really interesting about the written word and moving people to responses, which is interesting, but every other way uh, that we've used video, like in terms of like cultivation and engagement acquisition, yes, 100%, it is definitely a very potent medium. Yeah, yeah. We're speaking with Tim Kaczeriak about fundraising, some of the new ways that you could be fundraising and also about the donors themselves. Now we're gonna pause on our conversation for just a few moments, but when we come back, we're going to get into Tim's work as a board member for nonprofits, especially his work with humancoalition.org. If you are an executive director or a board member of a nonprofit, you will definitely want to stay with us for this discussion. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We'll be right back. 
Major gifts are the ultimate source of funding for nonprofits. They can help fulfill your mission and achieve your vision. Having a strong major gifts program should be a priority, but where do you begin? The best place to start is with Sukup Strategic Solutions. We create transformational change by working collaboratively to raise funds. Our fundraising consultants will assess your organization's fundraising capacity and develop a plan that serves as a blueprint for your fundraising success. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation today. That's S-O-U-K-U-P, SukupStrategicSolutions.com. When it comes to major gifts, the effort you put in can make all the difference, and Sukup Strategic Solutions can help. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Tim Kachuriak, about fundraising, but we're going to switch gears a little bit and ask Tim to put on his board member hat for this conversation. Tim, you're the co-founder and board member of humancoalition.org. Tell us about the nonprofit and what it's doing. The organization is really focused on trying to meet women that are in a crisis pregnancy situation and connect them to resources that can help guide them on that journey to making a decision about what to do. So it's, it's a really uh, great organization. It's grown pretty dramatically over the last uh, 10 or so years. And it's been really cool to be a part of that from the very beginning. So as a board member, Tim, what is something that you've, I don't know, something you've learned about yourself and about the experience being a board member for a nonprofit? Well, you know, I think the, the biggest thing for me is that I've found that people stay in their like own little kind of like ideological ghettos and they never meet people that don't share their same ideas about things anymore. And I don't know if the internet has actually exacerbated that by the fact that the social media algorithms like are designed to kind of keep us, you know, kind of liking and, you know, palling on to certain conversations. So I've deliberately over the last uh, five or six years, put myself in situations where I'm going to be around people that have a different point of view. And I've been spending a lot more time listening than talking. And I think that that's the first step, because what I find is that like, there's a lot of, you know, people may argue and squabble about the five or 10% of things that they don't have in common. Uh, but what you miss is the, you know, 90, 95% of things that you do have in common. And once you find that common ground, then there's an opportunity to have conversations, you know, that are civil conversations to be able to kind of engage in, and learn about each person's point of view on the issues. For those nonprofits that are listening to our program today, do you have any advice for them? Well, I, I would say that if for us as an organization, one of the the big things that we have been working on and the reason why we're called human coalition is that we're trying to work more closely uh, with other organizations that are trying to do the same thing. And this is actually a really, really, really a broken part of the nonprofit industry. You don't see a lot of collaboration or even consolidation of organizations that are doing the same thing as much as you do in the for-profit arena. And the reason why is because when nonprofit organizations merge, it happens for zero consideration. There's nobody that's getting rich in the process of that. Basically, it's one board kind of like turning over all their assets to the acquiring you know, board for zero consideration. And then they basically put themselves out of a job. And so it's kind of like very, you got to be really, really sold out for the cause. And so that's one thing that we've been working on is trying to build partnerships and even merging with organizations that are sharing our same value sets. So I think finding that network of people that are kind of doing the same thing that you're doing and figuring out where your areas of 
differentiation are, where your areas of strength and maybe even weakness, and then partnering with organizations that can help you overcome those. I would recommend our listeners to go back into our list of podcasts. Uh, Podcast 25 was about collaboration, and you're absolutely right, Tim. The more you can combine your resources you know, one side of town versus the other side of town. You both have the same mission in mind and you're, you're serving the community, but obviously in different ge- geographies. Use collaboration to help further your cause. Exactly. So I got to ask this. Um, you, you are a board member for several nonprofits. And on top of that, you've got a company that you're running, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you do it? I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, Tim. Come on. Yeah, uh, it's a great, it's a really great question. It's interesting that you're asking this right now because I've had a number of board meetings this week. And, you know, when you're on a board, you kind of see like, honestly, like the, the messy part of nonprofit work. There's a lot of issues that bubble up to the board level regarding like infighting between people in the space or people not playing or playing along well. And, you know, sometimes you have to take action uh, as a board member, you know, hopefully very decisive and, and, you know, swift action when, when things have to be addressed. And so I guess it's like, because that work is really, really challenging and it kind of is opening up my eyes to really just, um, you know, the things I don't see in my everyday work. Um, but yeah, I guess for me, it's, you know, it was kind of like people ask and I'm like, sure. I mean, I'm always wanting to help any way I possibly can. I sometimes feel like I'm not the most adequate person when it comes to governance issues and things like that. So I'm learning a lot in the process, which has been really interesting. Sure. But the things that I can bring to the table, which is, you know, about fundraising strategy and about like really helping to help the resource capacity of the organization continue to grow and to move into these areas of testing and experimentation and, and innovation, like that's what I kind of bring to the table. And so, you know, if somebody needs that, then why would you not uh, offer it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I, and my hat's off to you because I know you're involved in a lot of, a lot of nonprofits and your work and, and, you know, home life as well and that, and you find a way to get it all done. I hats off to you. And I knew that with all the topics we would discuss, we, we would cover a lot of ground today. And I'm looking forward to doing another conversation again, because there's so much that we could still cover. Tim, I so appreciate your time today on Impactability. Thank you so much for your expertise and for what you're doing in, in your nonprofit work as well. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Time once again for another edition of Coach's Corner, where you send us the questions and we in turn ask our impact coaches for their answers. And it could be absolutely anything in your nonprofit world, something in your organization you want some help with, advice with, maybe another opinion, whatever it is, send us those questions, impactcoaches at impactability.com. Net. Today's question, fantastic. I love this one. We have a guest coach in the house today. It's Christine Rahill. Christine, here's the question. How can I get companies interested in becoming sponsors for my nonprofit organization? Fantastic question. People already planning for the fall. So that's the question, Christine. And you have only five minutes to give us the answer on Coach's Corner. And your five minutes begins right now. Thank you for the great question, Joe. The first step for thinking about how to approach companies to engage them with your organization as a sponsor is to understand what drives companies to sponsor nonprofit organizations in the first place. Some of the most common reasons that companies sponsor nonprofits, either through their events 
or their activities is because they're looking for positive brand recognition and goodwill among their customers or prospective customers. They're also looking to attract new customers. They like to keep their employees happy and they can get a great tax deduction for their gift. So the next question is, where do you find the, the funds budgeted within the company for sponsorship dollars? Well, a lot of people don't realize that the money can be in several different buckets. Of course, the logical place would be marketing and many sponsorship dollars are held within the marketing department or a community relations, civic affairs department. Sometimes a company will have a foundation where it has its funds for sponsorship, but there's a lot of executive discretion out there. As many of the audience probably know well, the CEO, the managing directors of a company or a bank will have the discretion to allocate funds to nonprofits. And private wealth advisors often have budgets to support the organizations that their high net worth clients support. So that's another great source of funds within the company. So now you're thinking about going in for the ask, what do you need to know about the company in general to, to come up with the, the right strategy for your ask? Well, first of all, what are their current strategic business goals? And when do they reset? Companies often reset their goals and they're not set in stone for a long period of time like a nonprofit whose mission can last for decades. Who's the customer of the company? And what are their values as a company and how do they align with your mission? Also think about what time of year they make their philanthropic decisions. They're usually on a cycle based on their budget and it's something you really want to explore. You also should spend some time trying to figure out who the key decision makers are at the company that are making these decisions in some of the departments and area that I mentioned earlier. And then what is the history of sponsorship by that company in the community? Who have they supported in the past and at what level of support? The other thing to think about if you're preparing a solicitation is about the actual individuals you'll be meeting with. Do they have any specific preferences on how to meet, where they meet, how they're solicited? Do they like PowerPoints or prefer proposals? Do they bring a colleague or an assistant? Once you've done your homework on all of these things, that makes the path to the solicitation so much smoother. And the other very important thing to think about before you go in for the ask is how can you test the waters before the ask on the amount that would be appropriate. Far too often, nonprofits have gotten into a difficult situation by going in too high for an ask with a company that wasn't prepared to be asked for that amount. So anytime you can feel them out on what ask level would be appropriate or they would consider, whether it's one year or a multiple year commitment, you're gonna be much further along in getting closer to getting a yes. And then the other thing to think about when you're going in to prepare your sponsorship benefits and ask is, what does the company expect to get in return for the sponsorship? We know that they're very interested in promotion of their company and their logo on all of the nonprofits fundraising, communications and event materials. Any marketing reach data that you have will be of interest to them. 
the number and placement of media placements where their name and logo will be associated with the organization, numbers of impressions, likes and shares that you get, number of event attendees or some of the metrics that they'll be interested in. Some of your prospects will also be interested in speaking opportunities at events that you can offer at the highest sponsorship level. Possibly interested in naming opportunities if you have a capital or special project. But again, getting back to what I said earlier, it's important to ask open-ended questions of your prospect to find what they're looking for in the sponsorship and what their expectations are in return. And my last pro tip is be sure to build in approval time because you'll be working with their marketing team and they'll be needing to run things up the chain within the company before you go to press. So hopefully that helps give a sense of what you need to know about the companies in your community that you're seeking sponsorships from so that you're set on the best path to create opportunities that will engage them. Great information, Christine. I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people with COVID waning a little bit, people starting to get out there and do events again. This is right up the alley. Thank you so much for your help on this one, Christine. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you. If you've got a question for Coaches Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.